Acts. Uh, this is uh, message number 25. Uh, we have been just faithfully walking through the story of Acts, and I'm very excited in particular this morning because uh, we are finishing a three-part story. Uh, so this is part three. Part one is I introduced you to a guy named Cornelius. And guy, this man, Cornelius, was a man who, uh, from all appearances, very religious guy, very good guy, very generous, very devout, very pious uh, man. But he, he, from outward appearances, he looked good, but the inward reality is he still didn't know God. That is until he met uh, this man named Peter, and Peter introduced Cornelius to Jesus. And because Cornelius made a decision for Jesus, he began the journey of a lifetime, and so did his entire family. And so that was part one, looking at Cornelius. Part two was last Sunday, and we looked at specifically Peter. And Peter is a leader in the church. Uh, Peter is a man who knows God. He has a relationship with God through Christ. But Peter uh, was corrected. God said, Peter, you are believing something that is not true. And because you're believing a lie, it's beginning to shape who you are, and it's beginning to shape how you treat those around you. And so as we looked at last week, God was loving and kind and gracious enough to point out to Peter, uh, you're believing a lie. You actually believe, Peter, that I play favorites, that I love certain people more than other people. And God corrected Peter and said, Peter, that's not true. Because I love all people, Peter. I want you to love all people, namely Cornelius. Because Peter was Jewish, Cornelius was not Jewish, meaning he's a Gentile. And so Peter normally would never hang out with a guy named Cornelius until God grabbed hold of Peter and said, I want you to love all people, not just people who look like you uh, and have your background and your tradition. I want you to love all people, and I'm going to introduce you to a man named Cornelius. Now, today we finish. This is the longest story in the entire story of Acts. Uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, dedicates all of chapter 10 and half of chapter 11 to communicating the story of Peter and Cornelius. And then here in chapter or part three of this story, we're going to look at what happened when Peter went back to Jerusalem because he went to where Cornelius lived, Gentile territory. But now he's going back to Jerusalem. And what's amazing about this story is you think the folks back home, you think the people back in the church in Jerusalem would be so excited Peter, man, more people have met Jesus. We celebrate, we rejoice with you. But as soon as Peter got back, the first thing that he got hit with was criticism. And they criticized him. And they said, what are you doing hanging out with Gentiles? Now, I don't know if you're very familiar with Acts 11. You're going to be in a few minutes. But Acts chapter 11 is an incredible story, not just in the story of Acts, but if the men and women here in Acts chapter 11, if they don't get it right, what's about to happen is a caste system would be established in the church. If they, if they don't get it right, what is going to happen here in Acts chapter 11 is a caste system would be established in the church where some people are viewed as more important, as more valuable, and more significant. And what I love about what happens here in Acts uh, chapter 11 is the caste system is completely destroyed. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, the man whose was name uh, was Gandhi. He was a Hindu, and uh, in his auto, he was an incredible leader, uh, 
incredible voice uh, for those who did not have a voice. Um, But in Gandhi's autobiography, he shared a story from when he was a student studying in England. And he was deeply touched when he read the New Testament. And he was, remember, he's Hindu, meaning he believes in thousands upon thousands upon thousands of gods. But he was touched by the Gospels specifically, and he seriously considered converting to Christianity because it seemed to offer a real solution to the caste system that divided people in India. So when he read the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, he said this is a solution to what is tearing people apart because in India it's based on a caste system. And the higher up you are in the caste system, Uh, the more important you are, the more significant, the more valuable you are. But the lower you are, you're nothing. You're a throwaway. And so he read the New Testament and the Gospels, and he said, I see that this can actually solve the caste system in India. And so in his autobiography, he tells a story. He attended a Christian church service, and he was desirous to talk with the pastor about Christianity and ask him questions. But when he entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. And he tells this story in his autobiography and he says, I left and I never came back. And he goes on, and this is a quote from his autobiography. It says, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain Hindu. Later on uh, in his autobiography, he went on to say, Uh, I like the New Testament. I like your Christianity, but I just don't like Christians. Because when he went to go meet Christians, he was turned away. Specifically with the message, you've got your own people. Why don't you go meet with your own people? Because your people do not fit in here. As I've been just considering his story, I've been racking my mind with... Gosh, what would have happened to Gandhi and the impact that he would have had on the Hindu community if those ushers that one day that he visited the church in England would have said, we're so thankful that you're here. You look different than us. You might believe something different than us, but we're so thankful that you're here. And we want to talk with you about the Bible. We want to talk with you about the Gospels. We want to talk with you about Jesus. What would have happened to an entire continent in India if the church he visited would have welcomed him in. What happens in part three of this story in Acts is so significant because if the people didn't get it right here, they were going to create a caste system, that there were certain people that were more loved, more significant, more valuable than others, meaning the Jewish Christians were better than the Gentile Christians. Now, I've been excited, uh, knew this was going to break this out into three parts, and I've been really excited about this part in particular more than any because uh, I'm excited to answer one question for you today, and the question that I'm asking is this, what kind of church is Genesis going to be? What kind of church will you and I be? What kind of church community will we create, will we foster here in Woburn in the greater Boston area? Now, if you're here for the very first time, I'm really excited you're here because you're going to hear a message. I'm going to share with you three things, three things of this is who we are and this is what we are committed to being about. Now, some of you 
if you're visiting for the first time or relatively new, we average about 30 guests every Sunday for the very first time coming. So that means there's a lot of people who are going to be brand new today at the 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. And I'm thankful that you're here. And my hope is that you would leave here saying, if this is what this church is really about, if this is what we're going to be doing, then I want to be part of this community. I want to invest all of myself into this right here. But I also realize, and I'm going to be okay with this, that some of you will never come back after today. Because you'll hear something today and you're like, wow, if that's what that church is really going to be about, I don't want to be with that. I don't, I don't want to go there. If that's where they're going, then I don't want to be part of that. I would be bummed if you came today and left because of something you heard, but I'd be okay with it. Because I want to tell you as passionately as I can of this is who God has called us to be. And this is coming from Acts chapter 11. Now there's going to be people, you've been hanging out here for six months, for a year, for three years, four years. And I realize that maybe some of you will be here today and, you, and you're going to say to yourself, you know what, if this is what we're doing and this is what we're about, I'm not sure I fit in anymore. I'm not sure if this is what I want to do. You know what, I'm going to be okay. If you make that decision say, hey, this is my last Sunday at Genesis, I will be okay. Because I'm excited for the men and women who would say, you know what, if this is what we're doing, then sign me up. I am fully on board. I will be fully engaged to give myself to what God is inviting this church to be. This is Acts chapter 11. If you're thinking to yourself, what on earth is he going to say that would make me want to leave? This is Acts chapter 11. Soon the news reached the apostles, starting in verse 1, and the other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers, they criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and you even ate with them, they said? Just sit with that for a second. He comes home. They've heard that an entire man's, his entire household was saved, met Jesus. Verse 3, they criticized him. You entered the home of a Gentile and even ate with them. Verse 4, then Peter told them exactly what had happened. And then Peter just walks through the story of how God appeared to him. God spoke to me. He's telling the story of that we looked at last week in Acts chapter 10. God appeared to me, and it says in verse 9 of the story, but the voice from heaven spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. So he's telling his Jewish Christian brothers and sisters, God corrected me, God rebuked me. I was thinking of people as unclean, but God said, don't call anyone unclean that I have made clean. And it goes on in verse 14, he will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. And he walks through the story of what happened with Cornelius. And it goes and finishes in verse 15. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and just as he fell on us at the beginning. And then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Isn't that a great question? 
Who am I to get in the way of what God wants to do? Verse 18, when the others heard this, they heard what happened with Peter, when they heard what happened with Cornelius. Verse 18, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising. Isn't that amazing? That someone who was critical and someone who was just putting their fist up and objecting what had happened, they said, our fists are down. Our voices have been quieted with criticism, and actually our hearts are now filled with praise. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God also (coughs) has given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sin and receiving eternal life. Three things I'd share with you this morning of things I learned from Acts chapter 11, uh, this pivotal moment in church, in the history of the church. If they, if they don't get it right here, if they continue to object, a caste system is established. But thankfully, as we see in verse 18, they stopped objecting, they stopped criticizing, and they started embracing. So here are three things that uh, I want you to hear as strong as I can tell you that this is what Genesis is going to be about. This is what we will be committed to. Number one is this, a church that is open to all with all hearing the uncompromising message of repent and turn to Jesus. It's open to everybody. Everybody. All people will be welcome. A church, Genesis, will be open to all, with all, meaning everyone who will come will hear an uncompromising message of repent from just making life about you and turn your life to Jesus. Acts uh, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2 again says, The news reached the apostles, other believers in Judea, and Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, they criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. Again, one would think they would praise. They would be excited. They would celebrate. But I think what's happened here uh, is we have a difficult time celebrating that which will bring change. It's really hard when things start changing, they start feeling different, they start looking different. Rather than celebrating what is happening, we begin to criticize. And that's exactly what they did. How could you possibly hang out with someone who's not like us? How could you possibly begin a relationship, actually have a meal with someone who is lower than us, less than us? I think what was happening with these believers in Jerusalem was simply this. They believed they were better than certain people, namely the Gentiles, and they believed having Gentiles as part of the church would ruin everything. Did you ever think that to yourself? Man, if these people show up, it's going to ruin everything. I like what we have here. I I like what we've we've got. I like that I know people. And if more people come, it's just going to ruin everything. I think what was going on with them is often what happens with us. At Genesis, we're committed to demonstrating the heart of God to all people. And with that commitment means that we will be a community that is constantly changing. Now, some of you hear that and be like, man, I can't stand change. And this is not change just for change's sake, but do you know that every time someone who is new to this community and has never come, they bring with them a brand new dynamic. Every time somebody comes, 
whether it's to a community group, whether it's to a worship gathering, whether it's to a, an event we did yesterday morning for the men, every time someone new comes, there will be change. Why? Well, because it's a brand new person and they have their own story. They have their own history. They have their own issues. At Genesis, we will be a church that is open to all with all hearing the message to repent and turn to Jesus. You heard me mention this a minute ago, but we're four years old. We're four years old as a church. Steve Gardner was with me in my living room when this was just a Bible study. So I get emotional. I see a guy like Steve because he's been running. We've been running together for the past since 2005 when this was just a Bible study. But one of the things that I've heard over the years, and especially when we started in 2009 as a church, there was about 50 people who were part of that core community. And one of the comments, sometimes criticisms, is that I've heard is this, Genesis no longer feels like my church. And I get that. I get with growing pains and new people and new families and new kids. And I understand that. But my challenge and my pushback is this. But you know what? It's not your church. I'm pretty sure it's Jesus' church. And Jesus can do whatever Jesus wants to do with his church. And if Jesus wants to invite more people to be part of his family, then we're either going to criticize that, we're going to object to that, or we're going to say, thank you, Jesus, that I get to be part of something that you're doing. So I don't mean to, to belittle anyone's that change is hard, Growing pains are challenging, but this isn't my church. This isn't your church. This church belongs to Jesus. And by the grace of God, he's invited us to be part of his church, but he's building it. We're just along for the ride. We're just along to co-labor with him what he wants to do. I wanted to make this as practical as I possibly could of what it actually looks like for us to be open to everybody with everyone hearing the message of repent from your sins and turn to Jesus. So this is as practical as I can make it. If you're a Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, atheist, agnostic, universalist, Wiccan, and go through the long list of other faith backgrounds, faith stories, all will be welcome here at Genesis. And all will hear the same uncompromising message. Repent from your sin and turn to Jesus to be made right with God. This will not be a church when someone walks in and they look like Gandhi. No, no, no. You don't fit, man. There's got to be a church or a temple somewhere here, but you don't belong here. That won't happen. All will be welcome. And all will hear the message of give your life to Jesus. If you are rich, poor, educated, uneducated, white collar, blue collar, no collar, Republican, Democrat, independent, American, foreigner, married, divorced, single, straight, gay, bi, transgender, you will all be welcome here. And all will hear the uncompromising message of Jesus loves you, you're a sinner, you need him. No one will come through these doors, will come to a community group and say, no, 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 our community is closed to you because of your political affiliation, because of your sexual preference, 
Our community will remain open to all people that Jesus sees fit to introduce us to. And all people will hear the uncompromising message. Repent from your sin and turn to Jesus. If you are a religious person, meaning you have the appearance that you got your stuff together, and everyone around you looks at you and is like, man, that, just, that guy, that girl, they got it going on. They're spiritual. They got that religion thing going on. I want you to know you are more than welcome here. But you too will hear the message. You are not all that. You're a sinner. You need to repent and give your life to Jesus. Practically speaking, that's what it will look like for us as a church to say we are open to everybody. We will embrace all people, but all people will hear the message. And this is where others fall astray. We're open to everyone. We're going to love everyone. And it stops there. We will not stop there because the most loving thing we can do for people is tell them you need Jesus. Whatever your religious background, whatever cultural background, we all need Jesus. That would be the first thing I'd want you to know. If you're going to be at Genesis and you're going to be with Genesis, we are absolutely committed to all people and all people hearing the uncompromising message of the gospel. Now, Genesis, we're going to change, but we're going to embrace change. Because embracing change to me means we're going to embrace people. And we're going to be okay to embrace as many people as Jesus will see fit to introduce us to. People often ask, um, Michael, do you have like a life verse? Do you have a verse that like just, I don't know, has kind of helped shaped you? And there's tons of verses, but the verse that I often come back to with people uh, is this verse here. And in many ways, it's shaped Genesis where we are and will continue to shape Genesis where we go is 1 Corinthians 9 where the Apostle Paul says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Isn't that amazing? What a heart to be able to say that I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. This is coming from a guy who says, I'll do whatever it takes. If it will save some person, if it will save one person, I will not compromise the message. I will point people to Jesus. I will tell people to repent from their sin and turn to Jesus. To me, that verse right there speaks volumes of what it will look like for us to welcome all people, to love all people, and tell all people the message of Jesus. Now, can you imagine for a moment what a community would look like that I just described? Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, political. Can you imagine what that community would look like? All of these different people, different backgrounds, they look different, they talk different, they act different, all coming together under one name, the name of Jesus. Can you imagine what that would look like? Well, that's heaven. That's heaven. Heaven is not going to be filled with people who look like you. Heaven is going to be filled with just so many men and women 
different nationalities, different backgrounds, different stories. And we here as a church have the opportunity to mimic what heaven will look like by welcoming all people and telling all people you need Jesus. That would be the first thing, first commitment I would give to you. Before I share with you the second one, and guys, I will warn you, be prepared for the second one because it's for you. Are you contributing to making this a reality here at Genesis or are you getting in the way of it? Are you contributing to being a community that is welcoming and loving all people or are you just getting in the way of it? Meaning, I don't want all people. I like the two or the three people I know and I don't want to talk to anyone else. I don't want to know anyone else. I don't want to love anyone else. And if that's you, my challenge to you would be, stop doing that. And have a heart that would say, I want to be open and to love and to welcome all people as Jesus did that for me. The second uh, commitment, and uh, men, this is specifically for you. So women, I, I don't want you to check out per se, but I'm speaking directly just to the men. But I honestly feel, men, if we get this right, the women in this community will be blessed. They will be encouraged. They will feel cared for. They will feel loved. And here's the second commitment that I pull from Acts uh, chapter 11 is this. We will be a church that challenges all men to be more like Peter and less like Peter Pan. I noticed that most of those laughs sounded like female voices. We will be a church that challenges all men to be more like Peter and less like Peter Pan. If you're not familiar with Peter Pan, he was the ringleader of the Lost Boys, which was a group of boys who did not want to grow up to be men. They just wanted to live their lives completely free of responsibilities. They just wanted to be boys. They didn't want to have any commitments. They didn't want to have any responsibilities. They just wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. And here at Genesis, if you would be a man that stays here and is part of it, you will be confronted and you will be challenged to repent of being like Peter Pan and to be a little bit more like Peter. Now, men of Genesis, we live in a culture that is very confused of what it actually means to be a man. Our culture has created an identity crisis for men where most men grow up having no idea of what it actually means to be a man from God's perspective. So unfortunately, many men think if you dress a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way, shoot guns and drink beer, you're somehow a man. And unfortunately, most men in our culture, and I'll extend this to our church, do not know what it means to be a man from God's perspective. But if you're going to be here, you will be challenged to be a godly man, not to be a good man, but to be a godly man. The Peter Pan syndrome, where grown men act like boys, men who shy away from commitment, sacrifice, leadership, and gravitate towards laziness, selfishness, and sin, it's infiltrated the church. Guys, if you're going to stay here, I will challenge you to repent of being lazy, selfish, and self-centered. 
And there will be another group of men who used to be a lot more like Peter Pan, but are now walking in godliness that will challenge you as well. And practically from this section in Acts chapter 11, here's what I learned from Peter's example. He's not a perfect man, but he is a good example of what it looks like to be a godly man. Give you three things very quickly. He does not defend his name, but he seeks to honor the name of God. That's Acts 11, verse 4. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. Guys, if that's you and someone's accusing you and criticizing you, what were you thinking, man? What were you doing hanging out with that person? What often happens is I want to defend myself. I want to protect my name. I want to protect my reputation. But Peter here, he doesn't defend himself. He quickly points people to, then Peter told them exactly what had happened. And he walks through, this is what God did. This is what God did with me. He humbled me. He corrected me. He rebuked me. And this is what God did with Cornelius. Peter does not defend his name, but he seeks to honor the name of God. Most men are way too concerned with protecting their name, their fame, their reputation. You can continue to do that, but you will just be a little boy in a big man's shoes. Peter's example to me is, Michael, don't worry about defending your name and your reputation. Be more concerned about being a man who seeks to honor the name of God and pointing people to God and explaining to people, this is what God's done. I'm okay if you misunderstand me. I'm okay if you don't like me. But I want you to know who God is. I want you to know what God has done. The second thing I learned from Peter's example is this. He listens and he obeys the voice of God. Acts 11, verse 9. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. If you remember when God first told him that, Peter's like, no way. I will never do that. And three times God repeated to him, do not call something unclean that I have called clean. What I learned from Peter's example is if you would be a godly man, you're going to listen and you're going to obey the voice of God. That's another way of saying if you would be a godly man, you're going to do anything and everything at any moment that God wants you to do. Why? Because God told you to do it. That's it. You don't need any other reason. You don't need any other justification. And what happens with men who are more like Peter Pan is, I don't want to do that. It's not timely for me. I'm tired. This would inconvenience me. Peter's example to me, he listens and he obeys the voice of God. Men, if you'd grow as being a godly man, you've got to start listening to God. And what's really interesting to me in Acts chapter uh, 10, verse 9, this is when God actually spoke to Peter and revealed to him what he wanted to correct him of. Acts 10, verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. Many of us aren't hearing from God because we're not really listening. We're not positioning ourselves in places where we can actually hear from him. Peter, in, when he was praying, that's when God spoke to him. He listens and he obeys. And the last thing I'd share with you is this, uh, about what it, I learned from Peter's example, is he does not get in the way of what God wants to do. 
He does not get in the way of what God wants to do. Acts 11, verse 17, And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to stand in God's way? Guys, you've ever asked that question? Who am I to get in the way of what God wants to do? Peter's question there is, I'm nobody. I'm a nobody, but I know somebody. And I don't want to get in the way of what somebody is trying to do. Peter does not get in the way of what God wants to do. So men, my question for you would be this. Where are you currently getting in the way of what God wants you to do? Where are you getting in the way of what God wants to do with you and through you? I'll give you some examples. Your marriage. God is wanting to create something beautiful, healthy, God-honoring in your relationship with your wife, but you're refusing. God wants to do something amazing in your home, but you're getting in the way. You're refusing because you won't lead. You won't love. You won't serve. You won't sacrifice. In favor of choosing, I'm lazy. I'm undisciplined. I don't feel like doing it right now. Parenting. God is wanting you to raise boys and girls to love Jesus, but you're not around. So how you're getting in the way is you're not physically there, you're not emotionally there, you're not spiritually there, you're not relationally there. That's another way we get in the way of what God wants to do, because he wants to use you men to train, to raise, to encourage, to equip your kids to love Jesus one day. Singles. God is wanting to grow in you purity, honor, character, integrity, leadership, discipline, but you don't have time for that because you can't stop just thinking about the next girl you want to take out. And you're getting in the way of what God wants you to do because you can't stop thinking about what you want to do. But God is trying to forge in you before you would get married, before you'd say, I do, a pure man, a man with integrity, a man with character, a man with leadership. But you get in the way of what God wants to do because you're just doing your own thing. Generosity. God is wanting to use you in the lives of other people to bless them, to encourage them, to train them, to disciple them. But you get in the way of what God wants to do with you because you don't got time for that. I don't have time to serve. I don't have time to spend with other people, specifically other men, challenging them, investing in them, taking what's been given to me from God and planting it deep within their hearts. Those are just four ways. How are you getting in the way of what God wants to do with you and through you? Peter was a godly man and said, who am I to get in the way of what God wants to do? And what I love about Peter's example, he was not perfect, but he had a testimony of seeing God at work in his life. He had a testimony of seeing God do immeasurably more in his life. And men of Genesis, I want you to know if you stay here beyond today, you will be challenged to repent of acting and being like Peter Pan and to start following the godly biblical examples that we have in front of us from guys like Peter. Not perfect, but faithful and committed to Jesus. This last one is for all of us. That we would be a church that celebrates when one repents and turns to God. Verse 18 of the story says, When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and they began praising God 
And they said, we can see that God also has given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. I love this ending to this long story in Acts. When the people of God stopped objecting to the work of God, there's now unity. There's no caste system. There's actual celebration. What a great verse. We can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving life eternal. And they praise God for that. My hope is that some of you here today who just have been objecting for so long would stop objecting to what God wants to do here with you and through you and say, it's time to start praising. If God wants to bring tons of people here who are going to repent and turn to Jesus and receive eternal life, it's time to celebrate and praise that. I love Luke 5, it says, or 15, verse 7. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Three commitments that I learned from Acts chapter 11. We're going to be committed to all people. And all people will hear the message of Jesus. To repent and turn to him. Doesn't matter what you look like and where you've come from and where you've been. We will love you and we will welcome you. And if you're going to be part of this church community, the expectation is that you would do the same. That you would help foster and build that type of culture and community. It's not up to me. It's not up to just a few of us. It's up to all of us to embrace all people, but point all people to Jesus. And man, I'm so excited. I was so excited yesterday to see 40 guys show up on a Saturday morning to be challenged, to be encouraged, to get kicked, you know where. And they were okay with that because they don't want to settle for something less than what God has for them. And I desire that for all of the men in this community, for myself and for all of you, that we would push each other to repent of childish ways, selfish ways, and not get in the way of what God wants to do with you and through you.